ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so last week then we began with the opening statement uh, discussing the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one نقول في توحيد الله معتقدين بتوفيق الله إن الله واحد لا شريك له The first point that Imam Tahawi made was that indeed we believe Allah is one لا شريك له and he does not have any partners with him he does not have any associates, any helpers, any partners alongside him whatsoever. And that is something clear from the very basis of Tawheed. That indeed Allah is one. And He has no partners and nobody helping or aiding or supporting or sharing alongside Him in the affairs of al rububiyyah in Al-Uluhiyyah, in Al-Asma'u Wa-Sifat and that is something that you see throughout the Qur'an in one of the easiest examples that everybody will know when Allah says قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ say that He is Allah, the One قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ اللَّهُ الصَّمَد He is a Samad As-Samad, some of the scholars of tafsir have mentioned, is the one whom the creation must return to with their needs. The creation, we return to Allah with our needs. That is one of the meanings of Allah being As-Samad. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدُ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ Neither did he beget, nor was he begotten. Meaning that Allah does not have offspring, does not have children. And neither was Allah born of parents or anybody of that nature. Allah is one and alone. No partners, no children, no associates whatsoever. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ اللَّهُ السَّمَدُ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٌ And there is nobody equal to, no partner, no associate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is something that is from the basics of the religion. That is the meaning of لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ That there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. That all of our worship, our dua, our uh, uh, obedience, it is all directed to Allah alone. And that is something the Muslims think is obvious and easy to understand. The Muslims, they think that is easy to understand and easy to practice, that we worship Allah alone and that we don't associate partners to Him and that we don't call upon others besides Him. They say, obviously that's clear. 
But then the reality is, after they've all said to you, that's obvious and that's clear, they then go and do things that oppose that thing which was apparently obvious and clear to them. They will go to the graves of the deceased, and they will make dua there. They will go to the graves of the prophets and messengers, and make dua there. They go to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, making dua directed at the messenger, asking him, that is impermissible, that is going against what you claimed was obvious. So here, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi begins with that basic <coughs> fundamental principle. The principle of absolute tawheed, worship of Allah alone, not of any Imam, not of anybody you claim to be a great wali, awliya of Allah. You make dua to them and they will take your dua to Allah. That is all a nonsense from the whisperings of the shaitan. The meaning of Allah being one is that you will direct all of your worship, every aspect of your worship, all of your dependence, your trust, your reliance, your dua, your supplication, your prayer, your slaughtering, your vowing, every act of worship will be done purely and sincerely for Allah alone. Purely and sincerely to Allah. Not to anybody in their graves, not to the big imam who's supposed to be from the awliya of Allah. So you go and wipe him and throw money at him and whatever else. That is not from the affairs of Islam. That is not what we learned from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so, this is the basis of the religion. And that is why Al-Imam Al-Tahawi began with it. Then he moves on after talking about the issue of Tawheed, in the principle of it. He goes on to say, وَلَا شَيْءَ مِثْلُهُ So the first point he had made was, point number one, that we believe Allah is one. No partners or associates to Him. With that point, what is the key thing to understand then? That Allah is one, there are no partners and associates. But, what does that mean? When you study these books, there's no point just looking at the statement, Allah is one, Allah is alone, no partners, and saying, okay, I got it. You got it, but what have you got then? What is the benefit you've taken from that then? The benefit you take from that is that you will make all of your worship purely to Allah. Anybody who comes along and tells you, yes, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi said, Allah is one, no partners. But then says, this great Imam, make your dua to him, he'll take your dua to Allah. Now what is the purpose of you believing and saying that Allah is one and has no partners? Now you need intermediaries, you need partners, you need something to go through to get to Allah. Who has told you that and where have you learned that from? The purpose of studying aqidah is to understand it. Allah is one, no partners whatsoever. One in His rububiyyah, that He alone created and sustained and provided for the universe. He alone gave life and death to the people, to everything in creation. In terms of his uluhiyyah, he is one. 
that we will single out every aspect of our worship to Allah alone, including dua. You're not gonna go and make dua to the grave of the deceased of the great imam and the awliya as they say. You're not gonna go to even the imams that are alive. They say go to them and wipe them and do this and do that and throw money. Allah is one, has no partners. We don't need any intermediaries to make our dua to Allah. We don't need any intermediaries in their graves and the imams and whatever. You make your dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You turn to Allah your Lord, you have your trust in Him, your dependence in Him, and you call upon Him with what you have in terms of your dua. So the first point is that Allah is one. No partners. Not like the mushrikeen at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. When they used to say, مَا نَعْبُدُهُمْ that we don't worship these others or anything. It's just that they are bringing us closer to Allah. And that is exactly what they will tell you today, the people. That these great awliya of Allah, we're not worshipping them. But you go to their grave and you do dua. Your dua will be taken to Allah. They will take your dua to Allah for you. You have your dua answered quicker. Exactly the similar type of thing that the mushrikeen used to say. هَؤُلَاءِ شُفَعَاؤُنَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ These are our intermediaries with Allah. Those types of beliefs are the beliefs of the mushrikeen. They are not the beliefs of the salaf. They are not the beliefs the Prophet ﷺ taught us. They are not the beliefs the sahaba taught us. They are not the beliefs that you need intermediaries and you need wasila and you need this imam and that awliya and none of that. You call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah said, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِ عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبُ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّعِيذَ دَعَنْ That when they ask you about me, then I am close and I answer the dua of the one who calls upon me. I answer the dua of the one who calls upon me. In the other hadith it mentions, لَوْ أَنَّ أَوَّلَكُمْ وَآخِرَكُمْ وَإِنْسَكُمْ وَجِنَّكُمْ قَامُوا عَلَى صَعِيدٍ وَاحِدٍ If all of the people, everyone, not just the ones alive now, but from the beginning, from Adam salam, all of the people that have ever lived, how much are we talking all together? There's already 7 billion alive now on the earth. Billions and billions throughout history, all of the humans. But not just that, Allah says, if all of the humans from the beginning to the end, and all of the jinn from the beginning to the end, every one of them was stood upon a plain of land, وَسَأَلَ كُلُّ وَاحِدٍ عَنْ مَسْأَلَتِهِ And every single one of them made their personal dua to Allah, and Allah answered every single one's personal dua, مَا نَقَصَ ذَلِكَ مِمَّا عِنْدِي شَيْءٍ It would not decrease from the kingdom of Allah whatsoever. Answering and giving to every single one calling upon Him. And Allah is a samir Allah is the one who hears all. Whatever language you make your dua in, whether quietly and whispering or loud and audible, Allah hears the dua of every individual. This is the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah. Not the aqidah that the Sufis and their likes, they come and tell you, yes, we believe Allah is one, but we need our awliya and our imams and the graves and this and that. That is not the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah. Ahlul Sunnah, you call upon Allah 
As for the awliya of Allah, then yes, of course, Allah has awliya. There are great imams, there are great awliya of Allah. But that does not mean we need them to take our dua to Allah. Does not mean we go and call upon them and raise them above their rank and station. They are servants of Allah too. But they are and they may be greater in their taqwa and their piety maybe. But we do not have intermediaries taking our dua to Allah for us. You make your dua to Allah. You don't say, I am such a sinner. How is Allah ever going to answer me? I need to go and ask this great imam in his grave, make the dua to him, not worshipping him, but just make the dua to him. He'll take my dua to Allah for me. So I'm not committing shirk. I'm taking my dua to Allah just through him. Because I'm a sinner, he's a great imam. He takes my dua, there'll be more chance of it being answered. That's what they used to say, and that's what they still say. And that is a nonsense. Taking you away from the ibadah of Allah telling you that you're not able to worship Allah, you're not able to make dua to Allah, you need to go through these dead people in the graves. That is not the way of Ahl-Sunnah. So Al-Imam Al-Tahawi begins firmly from the beginning. Allah is one, no partners alongside Him. Then he goes on to say point number two, the way that we're putting the points together, it may not be always the same numbering in your books, but point number two then, وَلَا شَيْءَ مِثْلُهُ That there is nothing like him. Point number two, there is absolutely nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is, as Allah told us in the Qur'an itself, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ That there is nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but he is, the all-hearing and the all-seeing. That ayah is the most important ayah when it comes to al-asma'u wa-sifat, the names and attributes. The scholars, they say, the whole understanding of the aqidah, of the names and attributes of Allah, the foundation of it all is this ayah. لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ that there is nothing like him, but he is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. That is the principal ayah. Ibn Abil Iz al-Hanafi rahimahullah ta'ala says, اتَّفَقَ أَهْلُ السُّنَّةِ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ اللَّهَ لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ Ahl-Sunnah are united and agreed upon the fact that there is nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. La fi thatihi, neither in the essence of Allah. La fi sifatihi, neither in the attributes of Allah. La fi af'alihi, neither in the actions of Allah. وَلَكِنْ لَفْظُ التَّشْبِيهِ قَدْ صَارَ فِي كَلَامِ النَّاسِ لَفْظًا مُجْمَلًا يُرَادُ بِهِ الْمَعْنَى الصَّحِيحِ وَهُوَ مَا نَفَاهُ الْقُرْآنِ وَدَلَّ عَلَيْهِ الْعَقَلِ مِنْ أَنَّ خَصَائِسَ الرَّبَّ تَعَالَى لَا يُوصَفُ بِهَا شَيْءٌ مِنَ الْمَخْلُوقَاتِ وَلَا يُمَاثِلُهُ شَيْءٌ مِنَ الْمَخْلُوقَاتِ 
fi shay'in min sifati the point of this that there is nothing in creation that resembles allah there is nothing in creation that resembles allah remember and learn these points one by one all of this builds up the correct aqidah for you so we know here that there is nothing in creation that resembles Allah whatsoever. And there are no attributes of creation that are uh, resemblant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whatsoever. And that is proven in the ayah because Allah tells you, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There is nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is therefore a refutation of the people who make comparisons and resemblances of Allah and creation. There are groups from the people of deviation, from the people of innovation, who started to compare Allah to creation, to make resemblances between Allah and creation. They began... On the right principle, they said the names and attributes of Allah, we have to affirm them. We have to affirm them. True or false? Absolutely. Allah has told us His names and attributes in the Quran. We must believe in them. We must acknowledge and affirm them. But then they took that affirmation process so far, that they began to say, okay, Allah says, yes, this name, this attribute, this attribute, we affirm that. But then they said, okay, how do we affirm this? The attributes that Allah is mentioning, then they must be, we don't know any other meaning for them except what is in creation. So these attributes must be something like what we have in creation. Therefore, they began affirming the attributes of Allah from what they knew in creation. And therefore, they started comparing Allah's attributes to the attributes of creation. They went too far. They began to say, look, the attributes of Allah, they've got to be something we know. They've got to be like what we have in creation. They've got to be something like that. Otherwise, what are they? So they took it so far, they said it's got to be like what's in creation. If Allah is telling us He's got these attributes, the only ones we know are the ones in creation of these attributes. So it's got to be like that. Hence they began comparing Allah to creation, going too far in affirmation. Allah refutes them. لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ There is nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no comparison, no resemblance. There is nothing that is equivalent or comparable in any way to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are refuted. There is nothing like Allah. So then, they are refuted in comparing Allah to creation. On the other side then, you have, they are the mushabbiha. On the other side, you have the mu'attila. They said, okay, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There is nothing like Allah. They looked at this first bunch of people who had affirmed the names and attributes of Allah, 
but as a consequence gone too far and exaggerated in their affirmation until they began affirming them the same as what was in creation. Hence began comparing. This bunch had a look at that and they said, well Allah says, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There is nothing like Allah. They said, how can we affirm the attributes of Allah without making comparison to creation? Allah tells us, for example, in some parts of the Qur'an, that Allah created Adam with his hands. Allah created Adam with his own hands. They said, okay, Allah is telling us about this attribute of his hands. But how can we affirm that without comparing to hands. Because the other bunch, they had affirmed this attribute, but taken it so far that they began comparing to hands of creation. This bunch said, how can we affirm it without going into that? Because they've obviously gone wrong, resembling Allah to creation. So these lot, they said, the Mu'attila, they said, okay, we need to affirm these attributes, but we can't compare Allah to creation. There is no way of affirming the attributes except that you are going to be resembling Allah to creation in their minds. So they said in that case, the only way we can be safe and make sure we're not going to compare Allah to creation in any way is just to draw a blank from the beginning. And just not affirm the attributes to start with. That way we're definitely safe. We're not comparing Allah to creation. huh? That's what they thought. They said, let's just say that we can't affirm this stuff. We can't affirm Allah has hands. That Allah says He created Adam with His own hands. We can't affirm that attribute. Let's just leave it aside. We can't affirm it. Because at least by saying that, taking that position, we are definitely safe from any risk of comparing Allah to creation. That's what they thought. They were wrong, because as Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned, taking that position, in saying that, okay, these attributes, we're not going to affirm them. Because if we affirm them, we're running the risk of going down the line of those other individuals, who affirmed them and ended up, Resembling Allah to creation. So we're going to stop that from the beginning. We just won't affirm it. Then we're clear. We're never going to go down the route of comparing Allah to creation. That's what they thought. That's what seemed logical to them. But Shaykh al-Islam said, actually by doing that, you have now compared Allah to something. By doing that, by negating and rejecting and not affirming any of the names and attributes of Allah, you have now made Allah into what? No names, no attributes, you're not affirming anything now. Therefore, as far as you're concerned, Allah is nothingness. No names, no attributes, no nothing. So who is your Lord? Who is Allah? No descriptions, no names, absolutely nothing. So as far as you're concerned, who is Allah? Just nothingness. Nothingness. Shaykh al-Islam said, you have compared Allah to non-existence, to nothingness. No names, no attributes, no nothing. Then who is your Lord? 
absolutely nothing, empty space you're claiming. And that isn't the case either. They went too far. Allah refuted them in the Quran too. And Allah said, وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ That Allah is the all-hearing and He is the all-seeing. So Allah affirmed that He has attributes, attributes meaning like descriptions. That Allah does have these attributes. Allah does have these. Allah is the all-hearing, is the all-seeing. Isn't like you people saying Allah has no names, no attributes, nothingness. Allah tells you that He is the all-hearing, He is the all-seeing. He does have these attributes. But the key is, when does Allah tell us that? Allah tells us that straight after telling us that there is nothing comparable to Him. That is altogether. لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There is nothing like Allah but He is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. All of that put together is now telling you there is nothing like Allah. So you can never make any comparison or resemblance ever. But that doesn't mean you reject the names and attributes because Allah has names and attributes, He tells you straight away. وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ But He is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. Hence, Allah has names and attributes that you must affirm. But without, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ Without making comparison and resemblance to creation. That is the key. Affirmation of the names and attributes of Allah. Because Allah tells us, He has names and attributes without making resemblance and comparison to creation. That is simple and straightforward there. That is though, that though is the key point that people of misguidance cannot understand. It is beyond their comprehension and their understanding how that can work. This ayah cannot work for them. They don't understand. They say, okay, Allah is telling us that He has attributes. He is the all-hearing. He is the all-seeing. He has attributes. But Allah is telling us there is nothing like Him. In their mind, they can't work it out. Well, if there's nothing like Him, then how can we affirm that He is the all-hearing and the all-seeing? Because we in creation can hear and see. So aren't we already making a resemblance, they think to themselves. They think to themselves, are we not making a resemblance then? We can hear, we can see. So now their minds become confused. How can we affirm what Allah is telling us about Himself, that He is the all-hearing, He is the all-seeing, but still not compare Him to creation? In their minds they can't do it. In their minds, in their logic, they can't work it out. How can you do that? They can't work it out. So what do they say? Either they say, like the Mu'attila, in that case, we'll just stay clear and we won't affirm the attributes of Allah. That's wrong. You can't reject what's in the Qur'an. So then they'll say, okay, we can't reject what's in the Qur'an. What we'll do in that case is tafweedah. They say in that case, Allah says He is the all-hearing, He is the all-seeing. 
Okay, we believe Allah is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. Allah has those attributes. You say to them, okay, in that case you are affirming the attributes of Allah. They say, okay, yeah, but, 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 we have absolutely no idea of the meaning of these. Allah is the all-hearing, the all-seeing, has all these attributes. Allah tells us He created Adam with His own hands. They say, okay, we affirm all of these attributes. They're in the Qur'an. They can't turn around and say we reject them. They're in the Qur'an, all of these. They say, okay, we affirm them. But we have no idea whatsoever what they mean. We leave the meaning to Allah. That's what they'll say then. At first glance, you may think, okay, you're affirming them, but you're leaving the meaning to Allah. The problems with that are, that in reality, in reality, if that is your claim, that we affirm the attributes, but we're leaving the meaning to Allah, we have no idea what they mean. What are you affirming then? What are you affirming then? What are you affirming? Allah says He created Adam with His own two hands. Allah created Adam with His own hands. So they'll say, okay, we affirm this attribute to Allah. But we don't know what it means. What hands mean in the ayah, who knows? Leave that to Allah. So then you say to them, what are you affirming exactly then? What are you affirming exactly then? Somebody tell me. What are you affirming? Huh? But they say, we have no idea what it means. They can't say we reject it because it's in the Qur'an. So there's a few things you could do. You could either interpret it to some other meaning, like some other people of innovation do. They say when Allah says He has hands, it means Allah has power. So they give an interpretation. Only problem with that is you're never ever going to find these interpretations from the Prophet ﷺ in any hadith. You're never ever going to find those interpretations from any of the companions. So when you can't back up your interpretations from any of the Sahaba, from the companions, from the Prophet ﷺ, then that's just your interpretation. Why should I take it? You want to give that interpretation of the Qur'an, you've got no backup for it from the Prophet ﷺ, from the Sahaba. It's not going to be accepted. But that's what some of the people of innovation do. Others who are a bit smarter, they think, okay, we can't do that. Because then people are going to say, did the Prophet ﷺ ever give that interpretation? We're not going to be able to prove it because he didn't. They're going to say, did Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, radiyallahu anhum, any of the companions give that interpretation that the hands means power? They know they're going to get stuck again. So some of them, they won't go down that way. They'll say instead, we affirm it. We affirm it, we don't interpret it with anything. We just leave the meaning to Allah, whatever it means. So now they can get themselves out of the issue of interpretation. They're saying we're not making any interpretation. They can get themselves out of the issue of we're not rejecting them because they say we're affirming it. But then it's the thing at the end when they say we affirm it, but we have no idea what it means. We leave the meaning to Allah. So then you say to them, what exactly are you affirming then? You say here now in the ayah, for, we're going to come to these ayat everywhere, about Allah creating Adam with his hands, etc. So that example of the hands, you say to them, okay, you affirm this ayah, Allah tells you he created Adam with his own hands. They say, we affirm it. 
Then they say, but we have no idea what the hands means. Then you say, okay, so what are you affirming exactly? What are you affirming exactly? They're only affirming the, the word. They are affirming the word in the ayah. They are affirming the word. Any meaning or any understanding, they absolutely are not affirming. That's the equivalent of, as some of the scholars have said, if I was to give you a foreign word, I give you a foreign word, a foreign word that you would not understand. So, for those who don't understand Arabic, if I was to say to you anything, I say to you, for example, Malabis. For those who don't understand Arabic, Malabis, it's a word. You can hear the sounds of the word, Malabis. You can hear the, the pronunciation of it, the syllables in it. You can hear the word. The word is there. Malabis. You've heard the word, the syllables, the pronunciation of it. That word, I tell you now, take it from me, it's a word in Arabic. And it has a meaning in Arabic. Now you can affirm and you can know that this is a word. It's a word. Malabis. And you affirm the word. You agree? I'm telling you it's a word in Arabic. The ones who understand Arabic will tell you it's a word in Arabic. The ones who don't understand Arabic, now you know and you can affirm that malabis is a word in Arabic. True? What does it mean? What are you affirming then? When I tell you that word, what have you affirmed? All you've affirmed is the sound of the word. Malabis. You know that sound when you hear it next time you're walking down the street? Malabis. You think, oh, that, yeah, I remember that sound. That's a word in Arabic. What does it mean? What? No idea. All you've affirmed is a sound. True? The syllables and the pronunciation and the sound. You've affirmed that. Beyond that, you have absolutely no idea what it is, what it means, anything. So that is the equivalent of what they are doing. They read those ayat and it's as though they are affirming the sounds of the words with absolutely no meaning behind them. Is that what the Qur'an was revealed for us? For us to listen to words and sounds that have absolutely no meaning for us. Allah telling us about Himself, but they are only sounds and we have no understanding of the meaning at all. That is not what the Qur'an was revealed for. The Qur'an was not revealed to leave us confused and have no understanding and only look at these words like foreign words. We hear foreign words. Imagine now you heard somebody talking in Russian. You hear somebody talking in Russian, you can hear all the words and the sounds. You have absolutely no idea what they mean. You may, you know when you hear the French accent for example. You can tell when somebody's talking French. From the accent and things most people can tell, that's French. When you hear somebody talking Spanish, from the accent and the words, people who have a bit of understanding, you can understand that's Spanish, but you don't know what it means or what he's saying. Somebody who talks in Russian, you can roughly guess maybe that's the Russian type. Of, you can guess from sounds and things. But what does it mean? What do they mean? What do these words mean? Absolutely no idea. 
Allah didn't reveal the Quran to us in some foreign language that we have no idea of what is being said. Rather, when it comes to the affirmation of the attributes, we are affirming the attributes but without comparison to creation. And the best example or one of the examples we've mentioned before, it applies here, is that words, even if they are uh, something, a word that can be used for multiple things, the same word can be used for multiple things, does not necessitate resemblance. So the scholars give the example of the word leg like we've done before. Somebody says to you the word leg. Anybody who hasn't heard this example before, somebody give us a description of a leg. Somebody give us a description of a leg. A rough description. Nobody knows what a leg is. What's... Huh? It's a, a limb. How long is it? Varies roughly. One to two foot long. What? Uh, how thick is it? Varies, but roughly. Maybe 30, 40 centimeters around. Two foot long. Roughly. Everybody agreed? That's the description of a leg. If I use the word leg, that is the description you're going to give me and everybody's happy. Roughly. But what if somebody comes along and gives you a description? Leg, he says, okay, leg, that is one centimeter long, and it's only a quarter of a centimeter in diameter, and uh, I can squash it with my bare fingers. His description, is it correct or completely lie? It's absolutely correct. Why? I said leg again. Chicken leg one centimeter, maybe a newborn, huh? So, leg of an insect, leg of some other animal, you're right. So he could be talking about the leg of an insect. Is that okay? Absolutely, I didn't say the leg of any particular thing. Another guy comes along and says, leg, the word leg, no problem. The leg, it's the size of a tree trunk. He's talking about the leg of an elephant or a rhino or a hippo. Absolutely true again. Another guy, you say to him, leg. He says, leg, absolute no problem. Leg, it's the size of a lamppost. He's talking about a giraffe. <laughs> All of these people have given a description for the same word. Was there resemblance? An insect's leg to a giraffe's leg? The human leg to a chicken leg? The centipede, millipede leg to the leg of a hippo? The word for all of them is leg. But are they comparable and resemblant? No, they're completely different. And all of that is only things in creation. So if in creation you can use a word, the same word, and it can have so many different meanings to that same word, then how much difference do you think there would exist if the same word is being used for Allah and to creation? In creation we have hands. Allah says He created Adam with His own hands. The same word is used. True? True. Does it necessitate resemblance? Absolutely not. Because even in creation you could use the same word and there's so much difference. So then that means if you use the same word for creation and the Creator, there will be even more of a vast difference. 
I mean, look at the difference of a millipede to a rhino. The difference in those legs. But the word is leg. Then how much difference is there going to be between creation and the creator? Laysa kamithlihi shay. There is nothing like unto Allah. So just because you use the word does not mean that it equals resemblance. And that is something the people of innovation cannot work out. <clears throat> Up to that, it cannot be done by the people of innovation. They say, no, if you say hand, it has to mean something in creation. Has to be some resemblance. You say to them, why? Allah says, There is nothing like Allah, but He affirms attributes for Himself. So why not keep it simple, the way of the Salaf? You affirm the attributes, but you understand that Allah's attributes will not be anything like the attributes of creation. Allah has hands, He says. Allah created Adam with His own hands. We affirm Allah has hands. Because Allah told us that. But do we think about those hands as hands in creation? Never. Do we imagine them like that? Never. Do we compare them to anything in creation, any hands in creation? No. But we affirm Allah has hands that He created Adam with. That is different to saying, we affirm Allah has hands but have absolutely no meaning what hands means. Do we have an understanding of what hands mean? We do. The word hand, when you hear the word hand, you have an understanding roughly of what the hand means. But when we are affirming it to Allah, we're not going to try to imagine any description or meaning to it. You just affirm Allah has hands as are befitting of His Majesty. Why can't you just say that? Allah has hands that are befitting of His Majesty. Allah has hands that are suitable and appropriate of His might and majesty. Allah has hands that are of His superiority, of His majesty. And we have our hands that are for us creation. That is how you understand it. Allah has hearing. He is the all-hearing, the all-seeing. We have our miskeen hearing. Allah has hearing that is suitable and befitting of His majesty. Allah is the all-seeing. We can see. But Allah has seeing of that level which is suitable of His might and majesty. Which will be nothing. Our seeing and hearing is nothing. Compared to that, no resemblance. So you see that Allah has names and Allah has attributes. But, وَلَا شَيْءَ مِثْلُهُ As Imam Al-Tahawi says, there is nothing comparable to him. So the key point here, we affirm the names and attributes of Allah. Why do we affirm them? Because Allah affirmed them for himself in the Qur'an. Allah affirmed these attributes for himself in the Qur'an. And he tells us, وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ وَالْبَصِيرُ And other ayat. But we don't ever try to thereafter, once we've affirmed Allah has these attributes, we're not then going to sit there and try to imagine what Allah's attributes are like. Because Allah says, there is nothing like Him. You're never going to be able to do that. 
We don't sit there and try to give descriptions to Allah's attributes. Never. And that is exactly what Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned in Al-Aqidah al-Wasitiyyah. That we do not reject the names and attributes of Allah. We do not interpret them like we said some people do. And they distort their meanings. We do not make resemble, uh, we do not try to give descriptions to the names and attributes of Allah, imagine them, etc. And we do not make any resemblance or comparison between Allah and creation. But we will affirm what Allah affirmed for Himself in the Quran. And we're not just going to say those attributes Allah has affirmed for Himself mean absolutely nothing to us, may as well be a foreign word. It may as well be anything, it is just a sound. We'll affirm the sound of the word. What it means, what's, what is that? Absolutely no idea. In that case, the reality is you're not affirming anything. The reality is, when you break it down, you're not affirming anything. That is only a deception from you, that we are affirming these attributes. You're just affirming sounds then. Allah says He created Adam with His hands, you're affirming the sounds of that attribute. Behind that, absolutely nothing you say, zero. Ahlul Sunnah, they don't say that. Ahlul Sunnah say hands, okay. Allah has hands as are befitting of His Majesty. Allah has hands that are befitting of His Majesty. Just as Allah has hearing and seeing befitting of His Majesty. So we affirm Allah has hands. Befitting of His Majesty. We cannot imagine, compare, resemble anything. We cannot describe or imagine at all. That is the way of Ahlul Sunnah. So here, Ibn Abil Uz, he says, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِي شَيْءٍ عَلَى الْمُمَثِّلَةِ الْمُشَبِّهَةِ وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرِ رَدٌ عَلَى النُّفَاتِ الْمُعَطِّلَةِ فَمَنْ جَعَلَ صِفَاتِ الْخَالِقِ مِثْلَ صِفَاتِ الْمَخْلُوقِ Whoever compares, Ibn Abil Izz al-Hanafi says, whoever compares the attributes of Allah to the attributes of creation, then he is a mushabbih, meaning a person who makes resemblance between Allah and the creation. That is deviancy. And he is dispraiseworthy. He is criticized. That is wrong from him. وَمَنْ جَعَلَ صِفَاتِ الْمَخْلُوقِ مِثْلَ صِفَاتِ الْخَالِقِ and whoever does end up resembling Allah to creation, then he has done something very similar to what the Christians did. In their misguidances and their, dis, uh, their misunderstandings and their disbelief, they made comparisons and resemblances of Allah to creation. Even in the very basics of their beliefs now, that Allah has a son, Allah has a son, absolute resemblance to us as creation, the masakin who need children and lineage, you're going to put that attribute to Allah, Allah needs a child, all of these types of things, they say all of this, and the people who compare Allah to creation, are going down that path. وَيُرَادُ بِهِ أَنَّهُ لَا يَثْبُتُ لِلَّهِ شَيْءٍ مِنَ الصِّفَاتِ فَلَا يُقَالْ لَهُ قُدْرَ وَلَا عِلْمُ وَلَا حَيَاتِ لِأَنَّ الْعَبْدِ مَوْصُوفِ بِهَذِهِ الصِّفَاتِ so now look what Ibn Abil Izz al-Hanafi says. That those people who reject the attributes, 
then really what they are saying is that Allah has no ability, has no knowledge, has no life, has no nothing. They want to give no descriptions or attributes to Allah. Because they say that's the only way we can stop that door, close that door to ever going down into resembling Allah to creation. Let's just close the door, forget about all the attributes and we're safe. But then that means you are describing Allah as something. You're describing Allah as nothingness. Something which has no names, no attributes, no description, no nothing, is nothingness. So they have now compared Allah to nothingness. وَلَازِمُ هَذَا الْقَوْلَ أَنَّهُ لَا يُقَالْ لَهُ حَيْءٍ عَلِيمٍ قَدِيرٍ لَأَنَّ الْعَبْدِ يُسَمَّ بِهَذِي الْأَسْمَاءِ This is the other key point. Some of these people of innovation, and this is known from the beliefs of some of the Asha'irah, they used to say, okay, all of these attributes, we affirm them, but we have no idea. The, the empty affirmations of the sounds, basically. But then they used to affirm properly certain attributes. Pick a mix. Certain attributes, they used to affirm them. Because, as you will see, there's absolutely no way you can get out of it. Certain attributes, they knew they were stuck. Have to affirm them. So certain attributes, they used to say, okay, pick and mix, these ones will affirm. Which ones? Like the fact that Allah is Hay, Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyu al-qayyum. Allah is the, the uh, ever-living, the alive. You're not going to describe or uh, give the attribute of that to Allah. You're going to say, no, Allah is the, the one who is alive, the ever-living. We can't describe Allah with that. Obviously you cannot say that. How are you going to say no, that you can't do that? So they had to affirm that. They said, yes, yes. Allah is the ever-living. Allah has the attribute of life. He is the ever-living. Alim, the all-knowledgeable. Allah has the attribute of being the all-knowledgeable. Can you possibly say no? We can't attribute to Allah that He is the all-knowledgeable and He has knowledge. You will be beaten down to death. True? There was no way they could reject that. There's no way they can say, we have no idea what that means now. Allah alam what it means. We can affirm the word, but we don't know what it means. Of course you know what it means. Allah is the all-knowledgeable. Allah has knowledge of everything, knows everything. They knew they had no option. Okay, we affirm that. Allah has knowledge and we understand. That means Allah has knowledge of everything and knows everything. Had to affirm it. They affirmed it. Qadir. That Allah is the one who has the power upon everything, has the all ability to do what he pleases, has the, the power and the ability. You're going to say that your Lord, your Creator, does not have the attribute of being the all-powerful, the almighty, etc. Would you ever say that? Would anybody ever say that? Absolutely not. So when they read that, they said, okay, we have to admit, Allah is the all-powerful, of course. Allah is the all-capable of everything, of course. So they had to affirm that. That one passed in their pick and mix too. These types of examples, and there are others as well, like hearing, seeing, etc. Hearing as well. You cannot say Allah says that He is وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ The all-hearing, the all-seeing. They weren't going to say that, okay, Allah is the all-hearing, but we don't know what that means. What do you, so when you make dua, Allah doesn't hear you? Then they're going to, okay, okay, well, okay, Allah is the all-hearing. الْبَصِيرُ Allah is Al-Basir, he says in the Qur'an. Allah tells us in the Qur'an, He is Al-Basir, the all-seeing. According to their belief, okay, we accept, we, we affirm, He is Al-Basir, the all-seeing. But we have no idea what that means. 
So Allah doesn't see you right now, Allah doesn't see everything, doesn't know everything. They can't say no, can they? Allah doesn't see everything happening. Can they say no? Absolutely not. So now again, they have to admit, okay, he is Al-Basir. And all of a sudden now, we do know the meaning of that, that Allah does see everybody. So certain attributes now all of a sudden, they do know the meanings of. Allah is Al-Alim, the all-knowledgeable of everything. Are they going to say, we have no idea what it means, but we'll affirm Allah is Al-Alim. You have no idea what it means? So uh, does Allah not have knowledge of everything, know everything? He has to say to you, of course Allah does. In that case, there you go, you know the meaning of this attribute. But Allah is the all-knowledgeable, has knowledge of everything. Allah is a samir He is the all-hearing. We have no idea what it means though. So Allah doesn't hear you? Yes, He does. In that case, you've affirmed it properly like Ahlul Sunnah. Now, if you can do that for these attributes, because you know there's no way out, then why are you picking and mixing with these attributes affirming properly, but with the others, all of a sudden Allah created Adam with His own hands, now all of a sudden, no, we don't know that one. We don't know the meaning of that one. You know the meanings of these ones, but you don't know the meaning of that one. Who gave you this pick and mix methodology in Aqidah? Did the Sahaba, the Prophet ﷺ, have this pick and mix methodology, certain attributes, okay, we affirm them and we have an understanding. These ones we affirm, the sounds and the words, we have no understanding behind them. Find me a statement from the Prophet ﷺ telling you this split Aqidah in the names and attributes. From the Sahaba, from the Salaf, from the Imams of the past, from those early times from the Salaf, telling you that there is this split Aqidah when it comes to names and attributes of Allah. Some of them you affirm them and you understand what it means behind it generally without any comparison or resemblance. Others, we're going to say, no, we don't understand, we have no idea, just the sound we're going to apply. <coughs> you can see now, that is not the correct way. You can see that split methodology is not the way of Ahlul Sunnah. Ahlul Sunnah, very simply, we affirm all of the attributes in the Qur'an together, as they are. Did Allah make any split? Did Allah tell us anywhere certain attributes at a certain level, you believe and have the understanding and the meaning, others you don't know what they are. Any split in the Qur'an, or are they just mentioned throughout the Qur'an? They are mentioned throughout the Qur'an. They are mentioned throughout the Sunnah without any distinctions and splits. These ones you know this way, and these ones you know that way. And these ones you have this aqidah, and those ones you have that aqidah. Never. So Ahlul Sunnah, the Sahaba, the Salaf, all the way through the names and attributes of Allah. He told us about them in the Qur'an, so we will affirm them. And we have the general understanding of them. But we do not ever in any of them compare Allah to creation or make resemblances to creation. We simply say all of those names and attributes of Allah, Allah has them as are befitting of His majesty. As are befitting of His majesty. And that is the true aqidah and the way it works. So here where Al-Imam Al-Tahawi now says, وَلَا شَيْءَ مِثْلُهُ there is nothing comparable to him. And then Ibn Abil Iz quotes you the ayah, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ Then this is an affirmation that Allah has names and attributes which you affirm as a befitting of His Majesty. But then He tells you also, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ That you do not ever try to imagine or compare or picture the names and attributes of Allah. And in that way you have affirmed them, but you have not 
imagined or pictured or made any resemblance of them, and that is exactly what the ayah tells you to do. There's nothing like Allah. Don't compare, don't imagine, don't nothing. But, that doesn't mean reject the names and attributes. Still affirm them though, because Allah says, وَهُوَ السَّمِعُ الْبَصِيرُ Straight after telling you there's nothing like him. First Allah tells you there's nothing like him. So now maybe the people of innovation who reject the names and attributes might think, okay, that's good. There's nothing like Allah. In that case, we reject the names and attributes. And that way there's nothing like Allah. But then Allah refutes it and says there's nothing like him. But there are names and attributes you have to affirm. He is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. All of it together. So you affirm, but you do not resemble and compare. So that is the basics of understanding aqidah. And look at Imam Al-Tahawi here, putting down the building blocks of understanding aqidah properly. I'll tell you now one thing guaranteed. Guaranteed. All of uh, our friends who used to have a bit of an issue, not a single one of them will ever explain a tahawiyah like this. This is the explanation of Ibn Abi'l-Izz al-Hanafi and other scholars. They will never ever break it down like this. Never. This breakdown, how the scholars, they break it down, look at the size of this explanation. 400, 500 pages big. It will take us several months to go through this. You will not find any of their explanations giving you this detail and breakdown of aqidah like this. Never. Ibn Abil Iz al-Hanafi. Yet they reject it. They say, no, we don't want to take that one. Because it's a detailed breakdown of aqidah, properly explaining every point of tahawiyyah, explaining the principles of aqidah, not just a general thing, okay, there's nothing like him. Because then generally, what, what will they say at this point? That other thing. Okay, we affirm them, no problem. We affirm the attributes. But you can't compare a lot to creation, so therefore just say you don't know the meaning of it. And everybody, okay, okay, that, yeah, fair enough, yeah. And they'll move on. Won't break it all down properly, the ayah, what it means, affirmation, negation, no comparison, as is befitting of His Majesty. So now you'll see, you'll see why some of them have a problem with a Hanafi explanation of it. Because this Hanafi explanation of it goes into detail, so much detail, it makes them uncomfortable. Because it goes into really breaking down Aqidah and highlighting the points properly. So that's how we'll carry on doing the rest of it inshallah. And then you'll understand the reality of the Aqidah of Al-Imam Al-Tahawi explained by a Hanafi scholar. So inshallah ta'ala we'll conclude upon that for today. Carry on next week at the same time uh, from this point and the next point. Insha'Allah ta'ala. Any questions up to that? <coughs> okay, in that case we conclude. Carry on next week, insha'Allah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.